Hello, I'm Zeb Newworth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented, value-based, and humanistic system of health. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, our guest today is Reese Robinson, MD, who is a serial entrepreneur who, along with numerous colleagues and partners, is tackling a significant road bump in the digital transformation of healthcare. And I have to say, he's doing it in a rather uniquely collaborative way. And before I formally introduce Reese, I'm going to make a request of you. If you listen to the podcast and you find value, I'd like you to share it with your colleagues. So very specifically, as soon as you're done listening to the podcast or the next time you see one of our social media graphics on LinkedIn or Twitter, please share it with your colleagues and with your professional listener. A number of you have already begun sharing the podcast in this way. And so for those of you who are already doing it, as well as those of you who are going to do it, I just want to say, I truly greatly appreciate you taking a moment to spread the podcast and spread the word on creating a new healthcare, which is so critically important. I am so excited to speak to our guest today, Reese Robinson. I've heard so much about him and the work he's done in the past. Reese Robinson, MD, is the CEO at Graphite Health. He's also the Chief Innovation Advisor at Presbyterian Healthcare Services, which is the largest integrated healthcare delivery system in New Mexico. Prior to joining Presbyterian, Reese founded a number of companies, including Rodin Scientific, which was dedicated to creating a heart failure management solution, Inlight Solutions, focused on creating non-invasive glucose measurement techniques, Viralite, which established a non-invasive screening test for type 2 diabetes, Luminous Medical, which is an ICU-based continuous glucose monitoring device, True Touch Technologies, on and on and on. Uh, just so impressive, Reese, in terms of the background you have in terms of forming companies in healthcare and really pushing healthcare into a new era. Reese is also on the American Hospital Association Center for Health Innovation Leadership Council, and he previously served on Presbyterian Healthcare Services Board of Directors. Reese graduated from Stanford University, where he received both a bachelor's and a master's degree in mechanical engineering, and he also graduated from the University of New Mexico School of Medicine with an MD degree. So Reese, how are you doing today? Doing fantastic. It's a beautiful day today. Oh, <laughs> it actually is beautiful outside looking at the blue sky. Before we jump in, I just want to say something to the listeners. I did go into your website, Graphite Health website, and you have a wonderful white paper there, which I did get a chance to look at, which was really phenomenal. And I would encourage listeners to take a look at that white paper on the Graphite Health website. It really paints a really great picture of not just what Graphite Health is doing, but also the digital health landscape. So, Reese, before we jump into Graphite, fundamental question, why is digital health or the transition of healthcare systems into the digital era, why is it so important now? I mean, I can imagine some listeners listening in and thinking, well, I get it, but we could do that five years from now. Why is it so, so important for healthcare systems, for physicians, clinicians, provider systems, payers, why is it so important for everyone to be jumping into the digital era of healthcare? It's a good question. You know, the, the, the why now, and I might even repose it and say, why not now? And I look at it and I think, uh, you know, there's a pretty significant crisis really with access to care throughout uh, healthcare. It's in, very prevalent in New Mexico. 
And if you think about that, you'd say, okay, well, how do you address it? And I think one thing you mentioned earlier in, in this, uh, this podcast is healthcare today is not convenient for the patient or the provider. And you look at that and you say, I mean, it's the only industry where you'd walk in and you get a clipboard to fill out information. You schedule your appointments by calling a call center that operates uh, eight to five. You know, mm -hmm. I'm a pretty busy person. It's always hard to get a message. And then I think you take that step back and you say, as a provider, uh, most people enter medicine because they enjoy the process of delivering care on an individual basis. That time of being with a patient is uh, the most rewarding elements of delivering care. Yet, as you think about it, uh, because of, I feel, what are significant digital inadequacies, the amount of time patients and providers get to spend together has continued to decrease. It's decreased a lot over the last 30 years. So if we want to change that trend, we've got to start. We've got to start now. And uh, digital technologies uh, improve dramatically. And I think you can now really begin to digitally transform healthcare through the combination of uh, how we've assembled graphite, but also the tools that are available from a variety of uh, sources. So the time is now. We, we need to fix a fundamental inadequacy in how we're moving forward with the delivery of healthcare in the United States. Yeah, and thank you so, so much for that answer and the response. Think about the way, and you mentioned this in your white paper, the, the way we do banking, the way we shop. Healthcare is sort of a digital lagger compared to other industries, and there's a cost a serious cost to providers and to patients and to healthcare systems. And so I, I really appreciate that. You've mentioned moving to the problem that graphite health is solving in healthcare, but you've mentioned that healthcare systems face a number of major challenges as they attempt to move into the digital era to adopt and deploy these digital health solutions. You actually use the term again, I think it comes from your website, the digital gauntlet. I love this from your website. It says, we believe that the challenge of digitally transforming our industry is bigger than any single system can solve alone. I've never heard anyone say that. And because I do believe that systems are in a very insular way, trying to get through the so-called digital gauntlet, as you put it, and this notion that maybe we shouldn't do it alone. Maybe we should do it together. So if you could pick up on that and sort of dive into this so-called digital gauntlet and why can't individual systems do it alone? Or why do you think it's better done together? Yeah, great question. I lived what I call the digital adoption gauntlet as the chief innovation officer at Presbyterian really for the last five years. And what that represents is a medical group or the healthcare system or the plan would say, we need a, a digital tool. We need to improve the process and activity, telehealth, whatever the case may be. And I would go out and I'd say, okay, we need to find a digital tool. Well, the searching for that tool is difficult. There's not a common repository of the tools where you can look at them easily. There's not an application or a marketplace. So finally, you call different people and you, you identify that tool. And this is where, to me, it becomes inappropriately inefficient. So what you do next is you take it to legal. And every healthcare system reviews the legal documents and they have a little bit of a unique take on it. And it takes about three months to get through that process. And then what happens next is you then go to your security review. And when I started at Presbyterian, it was about three months in two forms. Now it's 12 forms. 
and it takes nine months. It's a complicated area with real risk, but every system does it themselves. It's an N of one activity. And as a physician, you know, we don't do that at each healthcare system when there's a new drug. We don't go, oh, we're going to review if we think it's right. So there's a N of one activity within the framework of the security review. And then what happens next is I walk next door to our CIO and she looks up at me and says, I know what he's here for. And she points up at the side of a wall and she's got one of those ticker tapes like you have at a meat counter. And I pull a number and it says 141. And what that represents is there's 141 either integrations or upgrades that are ahead of me. But the real problem here is even though that's a, it's a challenging adoption gauntlet, it's fraught with, I'd say, errors or the possibility of errors because you can't pilot digital tools. So as our compliance officer often says to me, Reese, just because it's a pilot doesn't make it safe. So you have to do these integrations and these security reviews to pilot an application. So what you now do is you look out and you say, there are 10 tools. I don't know which one's best. It's hard to assess it. You don't know whether the workflow assumptions are correct and you have to pick one. But after one year, you're almost obligated to make it work. So imagine a world where there are four applications and the security review is done as a group. The contracting is standardized and you have plug and play interoperability. So much like you or I or the CEO of Apple could download applications as easily, imagine that scenario and you test it over a week and another week and another week and you actually select the best tool for your system and you walk into it with confidence that it's going to work versus the sleepless nights I endured when I was a CIO and we were about to go live. So that's really the problem. That's the, to me, that's a fundamental problem. You can't digitally transform an industry where it takes you a year for each implementation. Let me find yeah. that. Can I move on to the, you know, how we're approaching this differently? But to me, that's really the, that's a, that's a huge problem. You know what, I, I, that picture you paint, I, I don't know about other listeners, but boy, oh boy, can I relate to that and working in a large system and the challenges exactly as you described. I mean, now I understand what you're talking about in terms of the gauntlet. And I, I know that other systems across the country are experiencing the same challenge. It's no one's fault. It's just a function of how healthcare works and how we're structured. And it gets more complicated because to your point, there's there's not just four options. There are typically dozens of potential options, and they're coming at you each and every day. What you find out is it's not as easy as picking one of the 15 or 20 or 30 or 50 options you have for a specific thing. It's often having to combine two or three different options to make something work. And so it gets even more complicated and more time-consuming. So that's the problem, and it's real. And to your point before, this is a problem we have to solve now in healthcare. You talk about this and, and everyone's talking about now that the issue of burnout, just the frustration and friction that providers are feeling in healthcare that digital health can solve for in part, and as well as the frustration and lack of customer service for patients and lack of convenience and the imposition we are imposing upon people because we're not in the digital era. So how does Graphite Health work? How are you going to help healthcare systems really through this or would you help them get around the gauntlet? 
Well, two major things in that that gauntlet we just talked about is uh, one is it's a, the security review, but the most important or most difficult fact is the, that uh, every healthcare system operates. I would use a term on a slightly different language. Their data is configured a little bit differently. And we've all been given a spreadsheet somewhere in our life with a list of names. And some people do first name, last name in two columns. Some people do first name, space, last name. Other times they'll do last name, comma, first name. It's very difficult to reconfigure that in a way that makes it readily computer readable. Imagine that problem in the sea of healthcare information. So what you have is a situation where there's no lingua franca. And I use that term with, uh, with very exactly, a lingua franca is a common language for the purpose of trade. And trade in healthcare is diagnosis, treatment, and payment. And we need to have a lingua franca so that the information is common in its structure and its ontology. And if you can do that, then applications can be made plug and play, and you dramatically alter the data liquidity for healthcare. So the fact now, if you think about just traveling, I know when we travel uh, afar, one of the considerations is, um, is it English or is it a language we don't know? Because it's a lot harder to travel anywhere where you don't know the language. There are errors and there are problems that occur. Yet we in healthcare tolerate the fact that really every system speaks at least a different dialect and sometimes a different language in terms of how their medical information is stored. So if you want to address that problem, it's not addressed by one healthcare system or two healthcare systems or three. It's addressed by creating an initiative where you aggregate 25 to 30% of all healthcare systems. And they're aligned around a common goal, which is improving healthcare through interoperability and the ability to realize knowledge in a more effective way, ability to download and implement digital tools. And that's really what Graphite's all about. So is Graphite Health creating that lingua franca, that common language, amongst these systems and between these systems? Yes. Okay. Now, in the white paper, you talked also about, yes, the interoperability. You talked about a marketplace, if you will. You talked about, and I quote this, a democratized public utility infrastructure. What does that mean, that public utility infrastructure? You're going to see me get excited. This is, <laughs> this is really interesting. So you think about this and you'd say, okay, what, what we need from healthcare is you need a, and it's, it sounds funny to say it's a public utility. It's the, the tools and systems that create standardized data. And that can be created through a, a common utility or a capacity or infrastructure. And what we want to do at Graphite is to take our member systems and support the creation of that common infrastructure. So it is delivered as a public utility or a common benefit. Um, we're a nonprofit, so we just need to deliver it in a way that we maintain ourselves as a sustainable organization. Then you think about that, that infrastructure, almost like the internet. There are then the ability to create an enormous amount of tools that utilize that existing or common infrastructure for the benefit of patients, 
providers, and systems. And the tools that would then operate on that common infrastructure are available through what we refer to as the graphite marketplace. And what we want to do there is we want to create a open and innovative marketplace, but also secure. And when I say secure, it means in healthcare, you, when you download an app as a patient or a member of system, you want to know that it's not reselling your data. It's not going to create a leak or otherwise. So what we've done is we'd say the applications that are available in that marketplace are digital Hippocratic Oath certified. And that's the adaptation of the historical Hippocratic Oath to saying, okay, now when you download an application as a, as a patient or a provider, mm. you can say, okay, it's safe. It adheres to a set of standards and a philosophy so that I'm not creating harm by downloading it. It's, it's, it'd be terrific. So I'm trying to understand this from, let's say, a healthcare system perspective. So here we have Graphite Health. Let's say our organization joins as a member of this. And what we have is a platform and a so-called marketplace that digital apps are already available on. And to your yes. point, they've been vetted. They've gotten sort of the seal approval of this digital Hippocratic Oath. And what is it from a technical perspective I have to do to be able to plug in? Is this literally just through API? How do I access these digital apps? You know, I think the, the right way to just think about it is we want to make it as seamless as the process of downloading an app on your iPhone or from Google Play. So it downloads and it knows where the information is contained and it accesses it appropriately. And the actual mechanism, as you point out, would be APIs. But we're looking for that degree of convenience and interoperability. Wow. And in terms of bypassing this gauntlet, so what are you relieving the healthcare systems of? What are they not having to struggle with that they had to struggle with before now that there is this vetting marketplace, plug and play structure, if you will? What we want to do is first is to get the member systems to agree on a, a standard contract. So you're not wasting time doing new contracts. You say there's a standard contract that's available and we all agree it's appropriate. So the time savings, monetary savings there. The second is there's no reason everybody goes through an individual negotiation on pricing. We can make the pricing uh, public and available much like they do on the Salesforce app exchange. The third is the security review is done, and it's done by input from the members. Uh, it's done before an application is placed on the marketplace, and it's ongoing. So you're not redoing the security review. There's a higher authority doing it once. The process of then integrating the application is not this individual wiring and saying, okay, this is data source one, and I'm going to connect to that and data source two and data source three. It's plug and play. It's true interoperability. And then the last part, what we want to do is we want to provide an integrated bill for all of the tools that you use on the Graphite platform. So you're not going through unique vendor approvals or paying individual bills. It comes together in a singular package. Hmm. But the key elements there, common contract, uh, transparent pricing, security evaluation done, plug and play interoperability. That changes the digital transformation speed of healthcare. Yeah, no, it's saving time and money and yep. people resources, which are these days really, really challenging for most healthcare systems. 
people don't have extra IES folks just lounging around. Everyone's really, really stressed and at capacity. We need tools that are more convenient for patients and providers. And we've all watched as the tools we use in our daily life have gotten better and better and better. And that's because there's a competitive marketplace. There's a lot of people developing apps. So in this situation where, you know, if you're an entrepreneur developing a digital tool, your customer acquisition costs and all of these integration costs are incredible. So a lot of your money is not focused on developing great tools. It's on ancillary elements of developing the business. You have to, you know, advertise like crazy. You got to cover some of the integration costs. You got to capture customers. So if you think about the efficiency of this marketplace on the application side, and you just say it's 30% more efficient, that means 30% more of the dollars go to developing better applications. They'll be better. The ecosystem will realize just better tools, more convenient tools, and based upon knowledge that now is, is supported through enhanced data liquidity. I mean, it can happen. But it happens based upon creating that common language. You have to have a common language. You can't have all these unique silos of information within the 252 healthcare systems that are more than a billion dollars. In terms of the EHR, what is the engagement or involvement of, let's say, the Epics or Cerner's or others that folks are using? Would you work with those entities? Absolutely. Because, you know, that's a provider... Uh, facing activity uh, mm-hmm. for the purposes of delivering care. And when we think about the delivery of care going forward in the next 10 years, it's the effective integration of your medical information. Secondly, you need to know what's available for payment. We can't put the patient where the doctor prescribes something, but the patient can't afford it. We need to incorporate payment in the delivery of care and the social determinants of health. If you don't have a car, don't give me PT on a daily basis. So you really want to be in a situation where those three critical elements are beautifully integrated to create care applications that are more convenient, lower cost, and improve the quality of care. And depending upon how much time we can talk about kind of an analogy with GPS navigation, but it's those three elements. So you have to engage effectively all of those participants. The participants being? EHRs, uh, yes. health plans, and the development, those entities that create social determinants of health information. Got it. I'd, I'd love to hear your GPS analogy, actually, before I ask you the next question. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about this uh, GPS. And you think about, okay, well, it, 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 it requires the, the roads, the, where the bridges are, the roads and the buildings, that physical construct very static in its nature. The second part of it then is the rules of the road, right-hand turns, left-hand turns, speed limits. And then the mm-hmm. third element is, is there a, an event or an accident or construction? And when those come together, GPS navigation works incredibly well. We, we all use it. It's a great decision support tool. If you think about healthcare, it has some very good parallels. That standard framework of the roads, that's really symptoms and diagnosis, and to some extent, treatment. Those are not activities that change at a high rate. The rules of the road are really the rules upon which you deliver care. Those are defined by payment. Is this on formulary? What is the prior authorization? 
So let's incorporate that information. And then the last one, which is the local uh, influences on navigation, that's the social determinants of health. That's what's happening in that patient's local environment. So my vision is we can create a system that really has the benefit and simplicity and power of GPS navigation with graphite, but now in the clinical care domain. And the one thing here, we go back to that infrastructure. We talked about GPS is a publicly available infrastructure, and it's allowed many things. What we want to do is have Graphite's platform play a similar role. So it enables uh, businesses and concepts and care delivery things that we haven't even thought about. Yeah, I, I hesitate to go there with analogies and metaphors, but are you talking about being the ways of healthcare? I you guess you can think about that. Yeah, no, I think, you know, it's, you know, you think about ways and it, it does, it's a very good tool. It, it's a benefit. It, it, it creates convenience. Uh, you get to your, your, your location on time. It's the same idea. And, but it's the effective integration of information. And just think for a second, if every city encoded their roads differently, the tools wouldn't be very good. Right. It's the fact that there is a common encoding or a representation, right. in this case, a lingua franca, for how roads are represented um, so that tools can be developed. And we've got to create that common data model, that common representation. Mm -hmm. And in terms of, from a technical perspective, in, in the back of my mind, I'm asking, well, how much work is that for every individual organization that joins in terms of signing a board? I mean, my understanding of API is it's, it's basically software programming that sets it up. Is that it? Well, I don't want to under underestimate the, the difficulty of the, mm -hmm. the task. It's not going to mm -hmm. be trivial to standardize all mm -hmm. of the, the healthcare data because there's a wide variety of it. Some of it is largely in a written narrative, unstructured data. But mm -hmm. it is an achievable goal. And our, our desire here is to say, if we can get the support from a large number of, of healthcare systems, and every indication is, this is a business framework that people are willing to stack hands around. We'll be successful. What organizations are actually in this at this point? Or I know you have some founding organizations and others that are joining. Yes, we have uh, Presbyterian and Intermountain and SSM are involved. And we will publicly announce on Tuesday, I believe, that Kaiser Permanente is our fourth member. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. We've got, I, I, I mean, just on this, line of sight yeah. on a, a variety of other entities. So we want to have uh, uh, philanthropy represented within, uh, within Graphite. We think that's a, a critical element. Uh, we'd like to get a academic uh, medical center. There's a tremendous amount of interest in the membership area. It's, it's really more than I can manage right now. That's, well, that's great. To it's hear. exciting. What would be some critiques or criticisms or objections or concerns an organization contemplating this would have to think about? What are some of the challenges you think with this model? Well, some of it is it's, it's different than what's mm -hmm. typically done. Most uh, entities, if, if they're investing in an activity, uh, it's an equity investment. And what we did is we took the, the ideology, the governance and the financing concepts uh, that Dan Liljenquist and Intermountain drove forward with, uh, with Civica, and we applied them to graphite. 
So some is just getting people comfortable with the fact that this is a is an equity investment. It will have a uh, a interest rate return, but that's very important because mm-hmm. we're not creating uh, we're not financing this uh, uh, with the assumptions that we are going to generate a return like a uh, a venture capital investment where there's a five x return mm-hmm. or longer term. This is going to be a company that pays dividends or that it uh, generates value for Wall Street. This is a company that's aligned around the common good and making sure that the benefit that we create is for the member systems and the patients that they serve. So the business model itself is very different. Right, and you're, you're not planning for an exit, is what you're saying. Well, it's a non-stop, non-profit company. There's no exit, there's no dividends. Uh, I'm not gonna get wealthy off of this. None of the founding members are going to get wealthy. This is really a, a, a collective action organization, what we call a, a, a health utility, aligned around the common good. And when you say that, that it has a, a number of you know, core tenets. It's non-stock, non-profit. It's trust-based. It's aligned around the digital Hippocratic oath. You know, it's purpose before profit. And we're not making patients into products. I want to ask you about that because I read that phrase as well, not making patients into products. Can you say what you mean by that? I mean, I, I have some ideas and I'm sure others who are listening have ideas but of what that conjures up. But what do you mean by that? What do you and your folks mean? Well, it's a term that I think really came to prominence through the, the movie, The Social Dilemma. And it's the fact that you know, Facebook in large part uh, provides us a service, but we as the customers then become the product that they resell. And what we want to do is we really feel that that relationship of your medical condition, that's yours. It shouldn't be resold. So if you thought about it, if you were to be diagnosed with, with MS or some significant, you know, chronic disease or illness, you don't want your Facebook feed filled with here are MS medications. Here's a, uh, 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 a doctor that's very good in it. I don't think that's the correct thing for the individual or for healthcare in general. Yeah, we've had a, and a great movie and we've gotten so used to that to actually, well, actually maybe don't even understand that we actually are the product. A moment ago, you mentioned Civica RX. Can you, for those of us who are not familiar with Civica RX, can you explain that organization, what problem it was addressing, uh, how it works, and what you're borrowing from that, what you've learned from that? Yeah, uh, just spectacular work by the, the individuals, two of whom are on our board, Carter Dredge and, and Dan Liljenquist. In about 2017, if you go back in your memory banks, you'll, you'll kind of remember $1,000 EpiPens and $400 mm-hmm. bottles of vancomycin. And what you saw there, there was a lot of supply instability and price instability in generic pharmaceuticals for the hospital initially. And Dan said, you know, this is, this is crazy. They're generic pharmaceuticals. What happens if we took 10 uh, healthcare systems together and we built our own manufacturing facility for generic pharmaceuticals? And the idea was so powerful. People are like, we can stack hands on that. Of course, we need to have a good and constant and reliable supply of medications. We don't, we need it to be affordable. We're going to stack hands around that. 
And what you see today is Civica has 37% of every hospital bed is a member of Civica. And what they did uh, last summer, and this is, this is so impressive, was they said, we're now going to move into the ambulatory generic pharmaceutical arena. And they now have already 140 million lives within it. 140 million. Hmm. So it says this is an idea of a healthcare systems coming together to address a problem that is larger than themselves. And if you look at our logo, that's what it, it says that to me. It's like-minded, but different size uh, healthcare systems coming together to accomplish something that is greater than themselves, but of common interest. Yeah, I know it's fantastic. It's a, it's an amazing entity. So if you were, you just sort of imagining the situation, you're sitting there, let's say, trying to explain to a CFO in a large healthcare system, like you're talking about over a billion dollars, trying to explain, okay, here's the, we're going to make a, sounds like it's an equity investment in being part of Graphite Health. How would you, how would you explain the value proposition and the return on whatever that equity investment would be? How would you frame that conversation and, and prove the case, so to speak? And I'm well, sure we work had a lot conversation. Yeah, we've, we've had that. <laughs> and there's a, there's a sure. variety of things. I would just start at, and say, Sears Roebuck. Hmm. Sears Roebuck was a fantastic company, Sears. Uh, we all grew up with it. Fantastic. It never was able to uh, really digitally transform. And I think that any healthcare system that does not digitally transform becomes a complete laggard. And they're a laggard in the quality of the care they deliver and the expense of the care they provide. So if you want to be a relevant entity in delivering care, you have to be able to digitally transform. And graphite represents the best opportunity because you're aggregating the expense of the platform across a wide array of entities. And you're doing it as a sustainable business, not a for-profit business. And the other huge factor here is this is a member-governed organization. It isn't uh, you know, big tech or another entity, you know, saying this is what you need to do. And by the way, you're a great piggy bank we want to uh, extract money from. Instead, you're saying we're creating an entity that serves our needs at the lowest cost point through an aggregated model. The CFOs get that. Yeah. Just based on what I've heard you say, it seems to me that not being part of this could really become in the future a competitive disadvantage. And definitely not being part of the digital era is, is, will definitely be a competitive disadvantage. And even more to the point, it's just a disadvantage for patients as well as providers. Nick, just on that Nick, topic, you know, we're in a really, yeah. we're in a, we're in an outstanding situation. You know, I think right now we've got the way it's structured. I mentioned it's after Civica. Uh, mm -hmm. We have, you know, effectively 10 board positions that are available for leading healthcare systems. And those systems are then going to have the opportunity to have a, a profound influence on the direction of graphite. And as a result of that influence, the direction of U.S. healthcare, its efficiency and its cost. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's exciting to see the number of people that are interested in being involved 
I mean, I'm excited to see who we have. I mean, from uh, SSM and Intermountain and Kaiser, I mean, what a, an amazing initial group, amazing CEOs to now begin to shape the direction, have that leading thought process. I just am ecstatic on where the company is today. Yeah, no, this is, it's, it's, it really is exciting. And I, I think, again, building on the Civic RX approach and the kind of public utility approach and infrastructure, it's great. Speaking about that, the, the influence that this might have, if you had a direct line, and you may, to Robert Califf, who's the FDA commissioner, as you know, the FDA is the body that now is approving digital health solutions, right? And so and there's a lot actually been written about that recently, about some of the changes in their approach to digital health. Do you have any sorts of recommendations or requests of Robert Califf in terms of how to think about how to approach, how to, how to change policies? And you did in your white paper talk about some of the policies that have actually some of the good policies that, uh, that have come through that have really opened up the interoperability issue. Any, any sort of recommendations? I think if you, if you looked at it from, from two perspectives, people, patients, they should have access to their information. They should be able to uh, create a coherent longitudinal medical record of, of their information. And they should be inter- able to move that information to the healthcare system of their choice. And that's, that's, not, that's not crazy. You can do that with your financial information. You should be able to do that with your medical information. And that creates a, a it will result in better care, less expensive care, because you're not redoing tests and you, you know what happened to the individual. Then on the other side is, is, is if you can create this standard language, this lingua franca, your ability to use it to create better tools is outstanding. So if you think about it, the process of creating knowledge from data is difficult if all the information is in a different language, a different format. It says you spend all your time converting it, and it's difficult to get. So one of the things I often think about or gets me excited every day with what we're doing with graphite is you now say, okay, the, the information, the data is in a common format. Uh, it can be shared between organizations and, and activities for the creation of knowledge. And then when you create that knowledge, you can now deploy it through an open and innovative marketplace. I think everything the FDA is, is doing, uh, I'd love to work with them. We need to, we need to make that, that idea of knowledge creation, good knowledge creation, good knowledge creation, validated knowledge creation, accessible for the improvement of healthcare. That should be the North Star. I love that. Boy, boy, I, I think that is spot on. And we're going to publish some information on that probably. I, you know, we got so many things going on. But in the next six months, we've done some, I think, just fantastic work. We've got some great advisors, uh, really excited about what we're doing in really that idea of, uh, of data aggregation for knowledge creation and then the deployment of knowledge. What stakeholders would be concerned or opposed to that, if any? I mean, inter- interoperability is an issue we've been tackling for, for quite a while in healthcare here in the U.S., and it seems to me that not everyone is on board with that. What do you I'm going to disagree with you just a little bit. Oh, please. And I think it's really important here is to say, it's my opinion, if, yeah, if I was a private company and I was able to aggregate 
30% of all healthcare systems, I would have a degree of influence and power and ability to create value for, for Wall Street that would be extraordinary. And although many CEOs are not especially digitally facile, they have no interest in uh, allowing or uh, enabling the creation of a, a separate entity that preys upon the fragmentation in healthcare. But what we've done is by using the Civica construct, they're now at the table. There's every reason for them to be engaged in it. They're not fearful of, of creating you know, a large entity that is predatory or draconian in the fragmentation that's present. Instead, we're taking that fragmentation, fragmentation that's present in healthcare, and we're aggregating it to their benefit. It's a very different framework. I think it's why many of the, the interoperability activities have, have failed. They, they couldn't get the full engagement of the healthcare system they looked at it and said, well, I'm just going to create another entity that's going to charge me a lot of money. Mm, yeah, no, that, that makes I a lot love of sense. Your, I loved your, I loved your mm, there because that's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And it's, yeah. it's why we're going to be successful in aggregating the industry around this, this common objective through a collective action, through really the, the, the brilliance that uh, they use to create Civica. This is a more complicated problem, but it is solvable. Yeah. Well, I think, again, I think there's a, there's a very, very clear return here, right? It's not, it's not just opening up channels, but it's opening up channels, creating this common language, being part of this with the endpoint in mind that you're going to greatly accelerate and facilitate and advance the digital enablement of healthcare delivery. And so there's just a, an obvious return that in the past, just at least from my perspective, hasn't, hasn't been as obvious or as proximal. Does that make sense to you or? Absolutely. Cost, yeah. quality, convenience, digital transformation has the ability to do that, but it's almost impossible to do when all the data is in a different format mm -hmm. and you have to spend your life in the adoption gauntlet, which isn't any fun. I'll tell a funny story here. <laughs> I'm presenting this one time. And I'm presenting to a, a CIO, a very capable one, and she starts to giggle. Hmm. And I didn't know how to respond. I, I'm not a funny guy. And I thought, what, what, why is she giggling? And so I paused. I said, well, why are you giggling? She said, I just was thinking about this, and my job would be so much fun. Wow. That's awesome. That's what we want. No, you're, you're right. It's, kind of, it's interesting you mentioned that. I was talking to someone earlier this morning, and... They said, listen, I, I look for three things. The first is to have impact. The second is to have fun. And this was a physician executive, uh, not in my organization, but in a large healthcare organization. Impact number one, fun number two, and three, I still want to make some money. And so I, I do think that's an important point. It's a great story. Reese, is there anything, I know we're, we're, I got more questions for you. I'm super interested even in fact in learning more about you and your perspective, because I I think fundamentally, from a worldview perspective and point of view, you're coming at this and saying, again, not in this for the short run, not in this to raise valuation and create an exit, not planning to use patients or 
clinicians or data to, again, get wealthy. This is really about enabling healthcare systems and providers to really get into, into a different era of healthcare, which is critically important. That's a worldview. That's a point of view. And I, I really am curious. It's different. And where, where did that come from? I mean, what was the influence on you that made you have that perspective or, or allowed you to have that perspective? Well, part of it was I lived in that digital adoption gauntlet. And I thought, gosh, I can't really be very effective. And, and Presbyterian, just an outstanding organization. It wants to transform. It wants to deliver care. We live in, you know, a, a bit of a disadvantaged state by the size of the, the state and the, the economics of the state. And I thought, wow, we can't do the right thing by our patients. And I remember I had a great conversation with our, uh, our CEO, Dale Maxwell, fantastic person. And he said, well, I guess we need to build a digital group. And I remember saying to him, I want to go think about this. I think there's a better way to do it. And I thought about it. And then I, I read about Civica and I pestered Dan Liljenquist to the point that he finally met with me. And he's been a fantastic partner. And it's just evolved. It's like there's no single point of aha, no lightning strike. It was, it's a lot of really outstanding people leaning in and helping me. And I think that's the key thing, you know, I, I just want to communicate to your listeners. This is about all of us addressing a problem that, you know, we can't afford 20% GDP on healthcare. That's not even fantastic. Mm -hmm. So it's a collective action where, you know, people like yourself through this podcast, myself, other individuals, we've got to create a movement because that's how things happen. You know, there's movements, mm -hmm. mandates, markets. That's how you actually create true change. And uh, we got to get the word out and we got to get people involved. And I don't know all the answers. There's many things we don't know. I'm just sort of the spokesman and I've got to aggregate a remarkable group of people and systems and activities to do something that's needed and is possible, but is transformative. Well, Reese, I, I, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed and appreciated learning about you and about Graphite Health and uh, if there's anything I could do to, to support you, please let me know. I obviously will post this podcast and I suspect and would encourage the listeners to actually share this with the CMIOs and CIOs and, and other executives at whatever organization you're part of. It's just if they don't already know about it or aren't already aware of Graphite Health, this is such a, I've read about it, heard about it, but just hearing it from you. And again, a white paper you have on your website is so helpful as well. I encourage folks to read that. Reese, again, can't thank you enough. At the end of every podcast, I, I do turn to the listeners out there and conclude by just thanking all of you out there who are doing the hard work each and every day of taking care of patients or, or those of you who are supporting the clinicians and staff who are taking care of patients. I we truly appreciate you for what you do and recognize how, how important your work is for individuals, families, communities, and our, our society. And Especially now, at this moment in time, we are in a pandemic surge. We're in the Omicron variant surge. So I'm not going to go into details, but it's so challenging. And thank God we have such professional, passionate, persevering, resilient people in healthcare. So many of you out there just giving of yourselves in, in, in ways that no one expected. And so, again, can't thank you all enough for what you're doing out there. And as Reese said, I think we're all in this to not only just deliver healthcare, but to actually improve it. 
for ourselves and for generations to come. My friends, this is Zeb Neuwirth on creating a new healthcare. Until next time, be safe and be well.